0: Welcome to Bowman's Friends, a podcast created to connect and inform UK students of issues, events, and cool stuff in Lexington and the campus community. I'm Jillian Stavazzynski, and on today's episode, I'll be having a conversation with Diane Fleet, the Assistant Director of Greenhouse 17, located in Fayetteville County and serving 17 central Kentucky counties. This organization is a domestic violence safety program committed to ending intimate partner abuse in families and the community. Thank you so much for taking the time to meet with me, Diane. I feel like this is a very important topic to bring up to UK students and the community overall.
1: So Greenhouse 17, I think Kentucky has a really nice model of domestic violence services, and it's very similar to um, how children advocacy centers are set up and also how the rape programs are set up, but they wanted to make sure that no family was more than about an hour away from shelter and non-residential programming. So there is one uh, sort of identified program in every area development district, and there is 15 of them across the state. So there's one in Paducah area, one in Bowling Green area, one in Hazard area, one in Asheville, um, Northern Kentucky, Moorhead. So and then they cover those counties that are in that district. And so Greenhouse 17 is the Bluegrass, the Central Kentucky AD District. And the 17 is because we serve 17 counties. Um, Most of the the contract comes through our coalition, through the Cabin for Families and Children, and then to the Kentucky Coalition Against Domestic Violence. And they divvy up the money that comes from the state to those 15 programs based on population and need And then programs also do fundraising and other grants and development and things. Um, And there's a core set of samples. We call them member program service standards. They used to be victim service standards. And it's a core of all programs have to offer these things. 24 hour crisis line, residential services, court advocacy, children's services. But then depending on the director and the community and the placement of where you are, there's real uniqueness, I think, also. So the program in Elizabethtown looks really different from the program in Lexington. But you can always count on that set standard. Um, so so that's a little bit Greenhouse 17, and those are some of the services that we offer. We go to court in all 17 counties for emergency protective order hearings. We offer individual advocacy or support groups to people. Um, we... Uh, do a 24 seven crisis line. We do housing advocacy, either through our own housing program or connecting folks to other housing agencies. We do a lot of economic and financial and credit repair because we know finances often keep people in unsafe situations or having to return to unsafe situations. And then I, we do a visitation and exchange program where we know that that's a really hard and dangerous time when parents are exchanging children. Um, so we try to take the, um, you know, the the victim, the non-offending parent out of having to see that individual and negotiate those things. And then I think the unusual thing about Greenhouse 17 is our farm. And that really just kind of came about because we were on 40 acres and it just seemed to make sense to use our natural resources. And we knew that therapeutic and nature healing was really helpful for folks that experienced trauma
0: Uh, so we do a lot of that work too. So that's awesome. You actually touched on some things I'm going to ask you about a little bit later. Um, another question. I don't know how this looks like, um, but what came into starting, uh, Greenhouse 17? I know you said that there have been a lot of resources in Kentucky, um, in general. I don't know if you mean now or before, but what went into starting the organization and were you a part of that?
1: So, well, the original program was called um, the YWCA Spouse Abuse Center, and that opened in the late 70s. So Louisville had the first domestic violence program. Lexington was second, and our program was connected with the YWCA. And the YWCA closed in 2004, and so with it, so went the shelter. And so really quickly, the Coalition, United Way, Community Players – came together and they created Bluegrass Domestic Violence Program. And we temporarily were housed at the Salvation Army while we were looking for a permanent location. Um, And then I came on board in 2005. We had found this location. It was a building that was sitting out here empty and it was a children's home, um, but it had not been used for a few years. And other than transportation being a big issue because the bus line doesn't come out here, uh, we thought it would be perfect for families that experience intimate partner violence. So, so we moved out here in July of 2005, and then about maybe eight or nine years ago, we changed our name to Greenhouse 17. Um, we had wanted that change for a long time. We really thought Bluegrass Domestic Violence Program was a mouthful. The acronym BDVP was hard for people to kind of hear and enunciate. We really wanted a name that reflected resiliency and survivors as opposed to victimization. Um, We had a lot of women that were living here that said it's hard for me to apply for a job and say that I live at Bluegrass Domestic Violence Program where Greenhouse 17 offered a little bit of cover. You know, A lot of people just didn't quite know what that was. And even though we want people to know who we are, we kind of like the anonymity of it. Um, and then we we had hired somebody to help us come up with the name, and they came up with the name because we had the farm going by then, smaller, but it was going, and they thought, you know, a greenhouse is a place for plants to grow and be protected until they're ready to thrive on their own, and we thought, well, that's a little bit about, like, the families, right? They're sort of here protected, but the goal is that they leave here, right, And they and they thrive on their own, so We liked the greenhouse analogy and then 17 for our
0: counties. Yeah, and I like that as well because, like you said, it does provide anonymity. Exactly, but also with the fact that you are so far out in Fayetteville County in, like, this really green area, it kind of provides a safe haven for these women and children as well. Um, So next up, um, how did you all build that safe haven? I know you went into the fact that it was kind of perfect to create a farm with it, Um, but what went into that?
1: So we really in the beginning. I don't know if this is 100% answer your question, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go here a little bit. Some shelters and and really in the beginning, shelters were an undisclosed location. Um, you know, they were sort of hidden away. They were tucked away. Um, real concern for safety, uh, obviously. And then I think with modern technology, good and bad, right? It's hard to stay anonymous now with uh, Google Earth. And you know all the GPS kinds of things and social media. It's really hard to stay anonymous. Um, but we also knew that with that kind of hidden, just that kind of hidden vibe, that a lot of people who needed to reach out to us didn't know where we were. They couldn't connect to us. They weren't engaged with us. It it kept the conversation of intimate partner violence kind of on the down low because it wasn't front and center. And so we were never a undisclosed location. We don't put it on billboards. We don't, you know, put our address on things, things go to our PO box, but we like volunteers to come out here. We like community to come out here. We want folks to be proud of services that Central Kentucky offers to families. We want people to engage in the conversation. We also noticed that a lot of people who are hesitant to reach out for services, they might come out and volunteer. And the next thing you know, they're like, well, I'm experiencing this too. Or my sister is experiencing this. Or I have a coworker. So something often draws people here, but they were afraid to pick up that crisis line you know, and call. Um, and I think in regards to the farm, that sort of has allowed us to have a lot of volunteers and people um, that normally wouldn't come. So it'd be like, well, I'd like to help out, but I'm not answering the crisis line, or I don't know that I'm skilled enough to work with this you know, family, but sure, I can come out and help compost the garden, or I can buy flowers from Greenhouse 17, or you know, I can come out and you know, help mow the lawn. Like I can do those things. So again, it gets people engaged with the space and the, and the conversation, um, but it's not quite so intimidating and daunting. Um, and you know, one of the things that I like most is when volunteers come out here and they're maybe working side by side with one of our families and they'll go, how long have you worked here? And then she'll go, well, actually I live here. And they'll go, oh, you know, cause I think there, there's this idea of what a victim looks like, you know? Um, and I think that that kind of dispels a lot of myths uh, that people have about who are the victims of domestic violence and who are the perpetrators. We also have that idea too, right? Like oh, this person would never be abusive to their family. That's not what I picture in my mind. Um, But the scary thing is a successful abuser is really good at hiding that from the rest of the community. So, um, yeah, so I I don't know. Did that answer your question?
0: Oh, that that was perfect. Yeah, that's exactly what I was looking for. I know it was kind of a weird question. Um, But, yeah, no, I I totally agree with that point. And also it, it is very toxic with how society places this uh, kind of uh, view on what an abuser should look like. So I was just wondering what uh, the experiencing, experience in the housing life of greenhouse 17 looks like. I know there's sort of a timeline. Um, Would you be able to walk me through that?
1: Sure, right. So we have several different housing programs, um, but And it's sort of one thing that I like about where housing has gone to in the past several years. And it's sort of a concept of called housing first. And, and the idea is that everybody, you know, just in the dignity of being, everybody deserves to be housed. Um, But people need different resources around housing. So some folks might need permanent housing, you know, for whatever reason they might, uh, they might be a single parent of several children, and financially, it would just be really difficult for them not to have that. Other folks, either due to mental health or different things, just have a hard time maybe holding a job that um, pays um, enough for them to live independently, so they might need permanent housing. Um, but then other people sometimes just need a leg up, right? I just need rent to deposit for a couple of months, and I should be good, you know, or I need help on going back to school, and then after that, I might be able to get a, earn an income that pays more. So, so the idea also is for people to fill out this assessment or take this assessment and be uh, in- connected to the housing that fits this family's need. So, you know, I, I let's say I needed housing. I don't want housing that I've got a social work at my door every day. Like I don't need that type of oversight with me. Other people might need that. You know, they might need help paying their bills, they might need help paying their utilities, or just figuring out daily kind of life skills, you know. Um, They might need folks to sort of check in with them. Our housing is a couple different things. So we have 24 units that are in Fayette County, and we treat that a little like transitional housing for about two years. Our hope is that after two years that they are able to save enough money, get that job that they're wanting, get a little more secure, so that they could go find independent housing. We also have a grant through the Office for Violence Against Women, and that also can help people for about two years, but we like to sort of stagger it. So we kind of do about two or three months full rent, two or three months half rent, two or three months a quarter rent, and then there you go. And the and the goal of that is to keep people in their home community. So we know, I. I think there's a misconception of a lot of people that work with survivors of of domestic violence and they go, oh my gosh, we gotta get you out of this house and we gotta put you in a shelter and all that. Shelter is chaotic. Shelter is scary in itself. And even though I think ours is lovely, you're living with 40 other women and children. You're navigating all of that. You're uprooted from your home community. So your friends and your family and your school and your work. So if we can safely keep people in their home community where they can you know, still see their family if that's safe or still go to their local church or still go stay, if their kids stay in their school, that's better for us. And I think for, well, it's not better for us, it's better for them. Um, so we use the OBW grant to keep people in their home community. So we've got the 24 for Fayette and then we've got the OVW for our 16 other counties. And then we participate in other housing um, that comes through HUD and, and you know Section 8 housing. and We just connect people to those services. So it really, just to sum all that up, I think we do a much better job at looking at needs of families and the resources that are available and, and pairing those two things together.
0: Thank you. Um, so yeah. I know that you all sell goods as well, like soaps. And um I actually have quite a few of your chapsticks as well and your lip Yay. balms. Um so how how did y'all come up with that idea? I know it probably provides some support as well from those sales. Um but yeah, where where did that idea come from? I know I know it's a great one. Um but I just wanted to hear a little bit about that.
1: Well, it is a great one. I was completely against it. So I'm gonna own I'm gonna own this. So the farm was my dream like I I really sort of push for the farm and I love the idea of the farm and we talked with people that were involved with Kentucky Proud I don't know if you're familiar with Kentucky Proud but it's really supporting local farmers and trying to sell you know their products locally and so we talked with some of those folks and they said flowers herbs berry honey those are areas that don't require a whole lot of labor you don't have to be super entrenched in farming and it kind of fits with the the women you know that are out there and, and we really kind of gravitated to the flowers. The women like to grow the flowers, they like to arrange the flowers, they liked all of that. And then we started um, paying women to work out on the farm. We went to a place down in Nashville called Thistle Farm and it was women that were working in the sex industry. And at one point they had a lavender field. They don't have that anymore, but they used to have a lavender field. And I was like, how do you get people in Nashville in August to go out and work in this lavender field and the woman who was the director at the time said, you have to pay people like it gets hot, you know, like you had to pay. So we would pay people a stipend. Um, it's not a lot. I think it's 75 or $80 a week for 10 hours worth of work, but, but it was enough incentive to get folks out. It helped kind of build a little bit of their resume began to give folks a purpose. And I think people, you know, just really started to engage with their self and their efficacy and their identity through farm work. I always then wanted a restaurant. Like, I don't know if you're familiar with DV8, which is in town. I always wanted a restaurant where our folks could go learn how to or be hired by, they might already know, um, cooking, culinary, wait staff, server, and we could sell some of the vegetables that we grew on the farm and take them to that restaurant that was always my wish Um, but we also did a small craft class we called it make it take it and our farmer girl at the time Jessica Ballard was just really good at let's make soaps let's make body scrubs let's whatever and the women just really got involved in it so we just started doing our own line of products the women sort of helped identify what they wanted to do they Identified, you know, kind of the scents and the flavors that they wanted to do um, came help come up with the names of some of the items, and so we went that route. It I think it was a little easier than a restaurant business. Restaurants are a little scary. I still want a restaurant though, but so I was I was not the supporter of the products because I could see it was taking away my restaurant dream, but but the farm was farm was sort of my baby. Um, flowers are sort of my baby but the but the products the women really kind of did that yeah
0: that's incredible to hear and really honestly inspiring that they came up with that um just to round it out um i also want to ask you how uk students can help um this organization in any way if there's any information you can give me on that
1: sure you know we do little pop-up things quite a bit so like um, soon we do a thing. They do it across the state. It's called Shop and Share, where we work with all the local Kroger's, and people can, you know, shop for items that are on our wish list, and then you kind of drop it off in the bin when you're done. Or you volunteer at a store, and you greet people and go, hi, I'm a volunteer for Greenhouse 17. And while you're shopping, can you pick up some toilet paper, you know? So that will be coming up in May. We also do a little film festival. We always did it at the Kentucky Theater, but it was called Luna Fest. Um, but I don't know if we're going to zoom it this year. We zoomed it last year. So attending that is really good and it's made, um, or it's, it's sponsored by the people that make Luna bars. So they're all short films made by and about women. They're really good. Like they're good quality, small films. Um, so having a watch party and attending that, and that'll be in the spring. I don't think a date has been set, but that's in the spring. So doing that would be terrific. Um, we don't have tons of volunteers right now just because COVID we're a little slim in that, but I think that will be picking up. So if a group wanted to come do a volunteer day out on the farm, you know, connecting to us on our website is an opportunity. Um, I'm really involved with the national Green Dot folks and I know VIP on UK's campus. So to me, the best way to help us is to be a little bit, is to be aware of how intimate partner violence plays out. Being really comfortable to start having your eyes open when you see things and comfortable when a person discloses to you so we don't get into that victim-blaming stuff. And even though we say we're really good at it, when it becomes our friends and family, we sometimes can resort back to that what were you thinking? What were you doing? Or he seems like such a great guy, right? Like it's really easy from a distance to say the right thing, but when you're up close and personal to it, we can kind of fall into those societal bad habits. Um, so I think I think bringing it with people wherever they go, whether it's their workplace or their dorms or their their school, like just making sure intimate partner violence and and being aware of that is on the forefront of those conversations. To me, that helps Greenhouse 17, right? So we can reduce numbers. If we can reduce numbers of it, um, then that helps us. I don't expect everybody to call Greenhouse 17 for services. I want people to know we're here and we can brainstorm. To me, I would like every school, every workplace, every family to go you know, I know what to say about these things and I'm gonna wrap around the survivor if that's what she wants, right? You gotta give it power back if that's what she wants and be here for that person. Um that's what I would love those conversations to take place.
0: Yeah totally I, I that is very important.
1: And then we work with a lot of the other local agencies. So we work with VIP. In fact I was on a Zoom earlier today and VIP folks were there at UK um, we work with Ampersand, the rape crisis program. We're getting ready to put a strangulation um, training together for advocates. We're working with them. Um, so kind of knowing the resources out in the community is really good. We work with The Nest, which is downtown. So,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, thank you so much, Diane, for having this conversation with me so that we can, you know, make people more aware Um and help people able to see those things and react correctly, and also like see those things within their own life. Um, so just thank you so much for taking your time to talk to me and I hope you have a lovely day.
1: Thank you, you're very welcome. I'm so sorry, it was difficult to get a hold of, so I'm glad you
0: got me. Yeah, Thanks. I'm very glad that we, we didn't have to reschedule. Do not worry at all. The good thing Thanks. is, is that it happened. And thank you so much. I'm so grateful for Rosie to, for like introducing this organization yes. to us, but... Um, I'll be back probably to buy some flowers in the spring. So that thank you. That would be
1: wonderful. Tell Rosie I said hello. Thank you so much. I
0: will. Thank you, Diane. All
1: right, you're welcome.
0: Bye bye. Bye bye. If you want to contact Greenhouse Seventeen to volunteer or help out in any way, their website is greenhouse17.org, and their Instagram is at greenhouse17, and it is the same for their Facebook as well. If you want to contact their domestic abuse hotline. Call 1-800-544-2022. Thank you for listening to Bowman's Friends. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Instagram at Bowman's Friends to stay up to date on our upcoming episodes. New episodes go live every Tuesday and Friday wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to DM us with topics you want us to cover or guests you want to hear from.